I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome into the Bears Illustrated podcast brought to you by BearsIllustrated.com. Your home for Baylor athletics and recruiting on 24-7 sports. I'm Pranay Malampati alongside Andrew Miner, and we have a couple of fun topics to dive into today. We're going to talk about Blake Shapin. We're going to have an, a guest interview later on the podcast, but first... What if we took these players that are on the Celtics and the Warriors and put them back in their college days and stack them up against each other. That's what we're going to talk about in the first segment. So, Andrew, would you take the Celtics college roster or the Warriors college roster? I think I'll take the, uh, the Boston Celtics as a college roster. Uh, really, really like wow. that one. Yeah. What, what, what about you? Were you, were you thinking I, Golden State? I, yeah, I'd definitely go Golden State. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, well, let, let me see here. I, you know, I'll, I'll go first since I since I was so confident in taking Boston. <laughs> but uh, first of all, I, I really just love the variety of colleges that are on this um, uh, Celtics roster. Uh, Tennessee, Oregon, uh, obviously Blue Bloods of Duke, but, you know, Michigan, Vanderbilt, Indiana. Um, you know, it's just kind of cool looking, looking through them. But uh, I think my starting five if I were, if I was Boston in their college days would be, um, Jason Tatum, Grant Williams, who was that big, uh, big bruising guy from Tennessee, Jason Tatum, obviously the star from Duke, um, Nick's Nick Stos- Stoskis, uh, you know, um, sniper three point shooter and, uh, Peyton Pritchard, I would have as my point guard from Oregon that, that, you know, they were able to make a run back in the day. And I would have um, uh, also Marcus Smart on the floor as, as well as another, another ball handler who, of course, we, you know, I got to see um, uh, play <clears throat> uh, Baylor a couple times, and, you know, mainly on, on TV. But it was fun fact, he was uh, suspended for one of the regular season games in 2014. Um, uh, so he did not play at the Ferrell Center, but did watch him uh, during that season. And so that brought back some good Good memories. Those would be my uh, starting five. And then I, I have a uh, six man of Al, Al Horford coming off the bench. Yeah, variety is cool and all, but you got to have talent too. And, and you got you have some nice players on the team. I don't think they stack up. I don't think they stack up anywhere close to what the Warriors have. My starting five would be Steph Curry from Davidson, Clay Thompson, who averaged 18 points over three seasons at Washington State. I would probably put Andrew Wiggins at the three, who only played one year at Kansas, but he averaged 17 and six. And I mean, he was obviously one of the top players in college basketball at that time. And then at my four, I'm between Otto Porter and Draymond Green. I, I probably would give it to Otto Porter because he was at Georgetown. 
And then at the five, I have to go James Wiseman from Memphis, even though he, play, he only played three games, but he was he was probably a top three player in college basketball. Uh, he got hosed with the whole with the whole uh, pay pay for play situation. Yeah, the investigation, and and he was right before NIL came to came to be, right? So yeah, and that's not to mention Moses Moody, who averaged seventeen points as a freshman in Arkansas. So this team is absolutely loaded. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and you know you're not even mentioning. Gary Payton and uh, who is a, you know, has that DNA basketball DNA in his blood and Jordan Poole, who hit one of the, you know, most, you know, one of the most iconic March Madness moments uh, with his buzzer beater against, uh, against Michigan. Absolutely. And even against Houston Houston a few years back. Even Kevon Looney averaged 11 and nine at UCLA as a freshman. This, so this roster just, just runs all the way deep. Yeah, you have you have some nice you have some nice players, but I think what we see in the NCAA tournament time and again is it's that experience trumps uh, trumps one and done talent. So I think uh, I think my guys could take you, and I'm pretty sure you can you can stat check uh, fact check me on this is that Al Horford is the only player that won a collegiate national title um, between the two teams, and he won two while he was at Florida. So um, Definitely, I think think that we have the edge there in terms of experience and, and being able to get the job the job done because you know even even Davis uh, Davidson's own Stephen Curry uh, you know the the <laughs> the clock struck midnight uh, during his tournament run and back uh, back in the day. You're right. Al Horford is the only one to have a championship out of all these players, and he does have two. But how much of that has to do with the fact that he was on Florida and Steph Curry was on Davidson over him being a better college player than a Steph Curry or, or some of these other guys, Steph Curry, he averaged 25 points over three seasons and took Davidson to the elite eight, which I think that's more impressive than Horford winning two championships at Florida. Yeah, you could definitely argue it's more impressive, and, and maybe it is. But I think my argument is that the experience that Horford brings to my team, especially coming off the uh, the bench here uh, on my mythical starting five and six, is that uh, that would give us the edge. Um, and and it's not like Florida was just playing scrubs in the uh, no. in the final four in the finals um, in in 06, 07. So uh, definitely definitely interesting. I, I I really like you know. I would love to see that matchup. Just just looking at it uh, and and listening to it a little bit more because there are some there are some dudes on here. But I think uh, you know I got I got to go with the the Celtics. I I couldn't disagree more. But that's uh, it's it's not a it's not an awful argument because you do have that experience with Horford. I just don't see the talent trumping what. Golden State has. I don't think the talent is even close because Jason Tatum is probably the only guy while he was in college that could actually go up against some of these players. Because when you're in college, it's a lot more about athleticism. Like, obviously, it's a lot about chemistry, but we're assuming none of, you got, none of these guys would have chemistry since they all came from different teams. So I feel like it's a lot more about that athleticism than it is about anything else because none of these players had, had developed into what they are by that point. And I just think because Golden State, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond, Andrew Wiggins, Poole, Otto Porter, 
James Wiseman, Kevon Looney, Iguodala, Moody, and Payne all average double-digit points. Yeah, I think you. I think I think Golden State definitely has the depth um, for for sure. Uh, I, I think it's the. Uh, I think if I'm just looking at the starting five, that's where I'll make my you know argument and, and hang my hat because uh, Pritchard, Smart, um, Williams, they all had. I think people forget they all had nice nice runs. Um, I believe in the NCAA tournaments and uh, and then Jason Tatum and Al Horford. Um, are kind of your, you know, your, your studs that, that you just, you know, drive, drive the bus, so to speak. So that, that's kind of what I'm looking at it. And, and I would just go back to my, my thinking of, you know, there's a lot of talent on Golden State side, but I think, you know, in college, a lot of these guys didn't materialize the way many people thought they would. Um, so. Fair enough. That's where I'm I'm hanging my hat, whether that's right or wrong. Feel free, uh, people, to roast roast me on Twitter or chime in with uh, who who you think is is right and and what you love about these players uh, from from their college days, because there are certainly a lot of good ones here. Yeah, please chime in. Unfortunately, we'll never know what actually happened, but it's a fun (laughs) conversation to have. And on that note, let's uh, let's take it over to Baylor football. When you come back in the next segment, we'll be talking about Blake Shapin and where he falls in the national college quarterback picture. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back into the Bears Illustrated podcast. Now we're going to turn it over to Baylor football and talk about Blake Shapin and where he falls in the national college quarterback picture. There's been a couple of articles out recently, one by 24-7 Sports, one by ESPN, ranking quarterbacks, and Shapin's not anywhere near the top. 24-7 Sports ranked their top 25 quarterbacks in college football, and 24 of them were from the Power Five. And, and none of them was Blake Shapin, which means they have Blake Shapin outside of the top third of college quarterbacks in the Power Five. And then ESPN ranked every single college quarterback by tiers, and they had Blake Shapin in the, in the fifth tier saying that he's, he's someone who's on a hot streak but is also unknown. And he was joined in that tier by Quinn Ewers, Hudson Carr, Anthony Richardson at Florida – and Jackson Dart, among others. 
that was one tier behind guys like Dylan Gabriel from OU, Spencer Rattler, who was benched last year at Oklahoma, is now the quarterback at South Carolina, and Will Leave is at Kentucky. So these, the national media doesn't think that Blake Shapin is is a top quarterback in college football, and I disagree. I think that I think that Blake Shapin is going to prove himself this year. I think he's one of the best quarterbacks in the NCAA. I think he's a dark horse Heisman contender. Because I think oh, he has, he, yeah, I think he has every trait necessary to be a great college quarterback from accuracy to decision-making to simply having that it factor. He just knows where to throw the ball and when to throw the ball. And he has a knack for just knowing where the defense is going to be as long as he can stay healthy, which hopefully he can. I think that Blake Shaven is going to lead Baylor to a tremendous season. And I think he, is going to be one of the top quarterbacks in college football. Those are some bold, bold claims, Pranay. I love it. They are. They're fan. I, I love it. I absolutely love it. And I think Blake Trayton's great. So I'd, I'd love to, I'm curious a little bit more about what, you know, how, like why, why you, uh, you know, how, how great you think he can be and, and why, you know, is it, is it the arm strength? Is it the long ball? Is it his like, you know, deceptive running skills, you know, what, what specifically was it something that stuck out to you during the big 12 championship game or otherwise, you know, what's, uh, you know, what's making you go all in on, on his stock. It's all of the above. And then some, I think that he has incredible pocket presence and he has the wherewithal to throw the ball before it's too late. I think that he, that's something he's really better than Gary Bohannon at is just getting the ball out of the pocket quickly and getting it to the open receiver and getting it accurately to the open receiver. And at the end of the day, that's, that's the most important thing to do when you're a quarterback is to to get the ball to the open receiver and make sure they have a chance to catch it and, and turn it upfield for more yards. And he can also make plays on the run. He can make plays, with his arm, because like you said, he has that strong arm. I think he's just got every tool in the toolbox to be a quarterback. He might not be as talented as, as some of these guys like Quinn Ewers or Bryce Young or CJ Stroud, but I think that he's in that next tier talent-wise, and I think he just has the mental game to be a tremendous quarterback. Yeah, I, I think that's really well said. I think some of those national uh, reviews coming out from ESPN and 24-7, I think, think that bodes well. You should feel happy if you're a Baylor <laughs> fan or a Baylor supporter, right, and you're hearing that, you know, Blake Shapin is in the fifth tier of quarterbacks or, you know, he's not that good or, um, you know, he's outside of the top 30 or whatever it is because, um, you know, you definitely want this guy flying under the radar. I think that's, it's always good when, when you can fly in under the radar. I think Baylor did that last year. I think they did that in 2019 with Matt rule. Um, and I think they have an opportunity to somehow do that again, uh, you know, uh, fly under the radar. And, uh, and the reason being that that is because Dave Miranda made a coaching, uh, a quarterback switch, you know, a coaching decision to make a quarterback switch in spring, uh, spring camp and went with Blake Shapin, who, I, th- I think just from the eye test, I remember when Gary Bohan went down in the Kansas State game and Blake Shaven came in and basically there was nothing going on really for Baylor. It was just kind of that, you know, back and forth, lots of punts. Um, 
th- things of that nature. And Blake Shapin led a scoring drive right before half halftime with some throws, with some big runs. And I was just, I remember thinking to myself, oh man, I, we might have a quarterback controversy uh, on our hands, just depending on how this shapes out. If we're going to, you know, get into the, you know, if we have a shot for the big 12 title game, how is this going to, how is this going to play out? And, you know, obviously it, it worked out for the best and, uh, but that controversy kind of, you know, it wasn't a big thing, but it definitely uh, was obviously something. And, and Dave Miranda saw something where, he he opted to make that switch and i don't think uh uh, i don't think he would have done so if if he didn't have a reason for it so i think there are a few few things where um blake shapin is is going to do really really well for baylor next year now with that said i i think it's fair to say that you know we're we're still in the unknown period i think there's a lot of uh unknown about blake shapin how well he can do how high his ceiling is um making sure that, you know, he doesn't force anything with turnovers and things like that. Uh, but to your point, I think, you know, I think we've seen a lot of good things um, in, in the last, you know, three games of the season that he played. Uh, and it's just, but, you know, it's just a matter of how, how, how high can he go? Obviously you think he's a dark horse Heisman uh, con- contender, um, which yeah. probably Baylor's a playoff team. Yeah, I'm, that would be assuming that Baylor is a playoff team or, or again, a top five team in the country. Um, and to be fair to ESPN, they also had Quinn Ewers in the same tier. And so they're, they're saying that Shaven has the potential to be a really good quarterback. They just don't know, which is fair because he only played three games last season. But I think that he's going to be better than a lot of people think. Um, and, I mean, I also think that Quinn Ewers is going to be one of the best quarterbacks in college football. He comes in as – he's a sophomore now, but he came in as a perfectly rated recruit. And the last two quarterbacks rated that high or nearly as high were Trevor Lawrence and Vince Young, and they were both tremendous. So I think that the Big 12 is going to be – I think the top two quarterbacks in the Big 12 are going to be Blake Shapin and Quinn Ewers. I think Dylan Gabriel is a little bit overrated. Yeah, yeah, and then – Right, Max Duggan at TCU, Adrian Montier, uh, uh, Martinez at Kansas State, and I think Kansas State. A lot of people have them as a as a dark horse Big Twelve uh, championship game candidate, right? Yeah. Um, so it, it should be, it should be interesting. I, I think I think the benefit that Shapin has is that he has an excellent out, uh, offensive line returning and should have a really good ground game. And you know, Coach Dave Aranda, you know, kind of in his year. Uh, you know, who has the experience, who's been there, uh, done that, um, you know, with, with LSU and then Baylor, Baylor last year. And then, um, and then shaping himself, you know, stepping up in, in big moments, those last three games, uh, you know, against Kansas state, Texas tech, and then Oklahoma state in the big 12 championship game. Um, I remember thinking that the, the, that the Texas, Tech game was not a fantastic performance um, by Baylor overall. I mean, we almost we almost lost that game. It was very <laughs> right yeah. like that. We almost went into overtime. I just remember not terribly impressed, you know, on that game. And maybe that's rivalry weekend after Thanksgiving. Um, maybe we we're because there was a lot at stake, obviously. Uh, but he was twenty of thirty four. 254 yards passing, uh, 58 completion percentage. Uh, so, you know, not, not overly great, um, but found a way to win. 
And then Oklahoma State in the in the Big 12 championship game, he obviously was was spectacular in that first half. Completed the first 17 pass attempts, and then uh, you know with three touchdowns, and uh, then with a with an injury, kind of nursed Baylor to uh, with the help of the defense, right to 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 get the title um, in in the second half, and, and found a way to do it. So yeah, if he stays healthy and um, and can help lead Baylor, I think I think we got a you know, got a good shot and he should definitely be, um, you know, a top two to three quarterback in the big 12 for sure. I, I think he definitely gives Baylor a chance to, you know, to repeat as champions. Absolutely. And I think you nailed it when you said a large part of that is because Baylor has essentially its entire offensive line coming back. And with that, with that incredible offensive line, which could be the best in the country, I think that Shapin's the perfect quarterback, and all he has to do is sit there, get the ball out within, like, three seconds, throw the ball accurately to the right receiver, which I think he'll do, and, and he'll take Baylor really far this season. Um, but we'll see, how, we'll see how Baylor performs in the Big 12 and how Blake Shapin performs against some of these good Big 12 defenses. And speaking of the Big 12 – After the break, stay tuned for an interview with Andrew Miller, who talks about some new potential Big 12 teams, not Cincinnati, Houston, BYU, and UCF, but actually some other teams who could eventually join the Big 12 down the line after those four join. Welcome into the Bears Illustrated podcast. I'm joined by Andrew Miller, who writes for Hook'em Headlines for Fansided. And Andrew recently released an article about potential teams that could join the Big 12 after this first set of expansions. So down the line, maybe maybe five years down the line. Um, Andrew, first of all, what prompted you to write about this, considering UT won't be in the Big 12, so it doesn't affect them too much? Yeah, I think there's two things that really kind of got me thinking about this, got me on this topic, and and really just my involvement on covering this topic before. Um, I I think there's a good chance that UT and OU could stick around in the Big 12 through 2024, 2025, so you might actually see them involved in the Big 12 still um, with some involvement with the uh, new additions, UCF, Houston, Cincinnati, and BYU, Um, as well as just how this impacts the broader landscape of college sports. Um, I think a lot of the moves that the SEC has made um, has obviously sped up the uh, kind of the conference expansion conversation and just how there's potential for some super conferences, I I would imagine three, five, maybe 10 years down the line, uh, depending on how quickly maybe other conferences move to, uh, you know, to try and upgrade their standing in in the broader spectrum of college sports. So I think UT had a big role to play in this, but Big 12 expansion is something that I've covered myself in with various sites since the early to mid 2010s. So the four teams you talked about that would be the best fits for the Big 12 if they do decide to expand further were SMU, Memphis, Boise State, and San Diego State. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you talk a little bit about those teams and, and which of those you think would be the most likely to make it to the Big 12? 
Yeah, the the one that always comes to mind first for me is SMU. Um, just given that you expand or that the Big Twelve expanded with um, what, in my opinion, was the most obvious candidate at the time in in Houston. Um, I mean, it just makes sense to expand your footprint around the state of Texas, let alone how SMU has improved across the board in a lot of their uh, in a lot of their athletics lately. Very competitive in football and basketball. Very resourceful. Um, I like Brett Lashley as the head coach there. I think that that's a good head coach potentially that they could have in the long term. Um, and I mean, you, I, I really like above all else just the appeal of having an SMU TCU rivalry. You're losing potentially two really big rivalries um, in, in the Big 12 with Texas NOU leaving. Uh, you know, obviously you lose Red River itself. And then depending on if OU and still plays Oklahoma state on an annual basis, which I would imagine they do, but if they don't, you lose Bedlam too. So getting a bigger draw with some, you know, rivalries with geographic relevance would, would make a lot of sense. And so two of the other teams you mentioned were Boise state and San Diego state. And you talked about building, building the big 12 towards the West, um, towards the, the mountain West region right now. So do you think that if teams like those and then honorable mentions you had were like, uh, I think Fresno State and Colorado State. So if you if teams like those join the Big 12, do you think it would stay a power conference? I, I do. I mean, you have to be very strategic with how you go about it, but that's why I like Boise State as kind of an anchor, at least for football. Boise State is a power five caliber program, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so beyond that, you give BYU some natural geographic rivals. Um, I mean, depending on if you wanted to break into pods, I, you know, you, you might want to think about a fourth team out West, but then you kind of run into a numbers issue. I, I do think it stays a power conference in that sense, San Diego state with how competitive they've been in football and basketball in the last half decade or so. Um, I mean, they've been beating power five teams almost on an annual basis in football and a top 25 program in basketball in recent years. So I definitely think you, you stay a power five caliber conference by moving out West with those, with those candidates. Um, how likely do you think that, that these teams are to join the conference? Do you think the big 12 is going to want to expand sooner rather than later? You know, I, I, if I'm going with my gut, I don't think so. Whenever the Big 12 tends to expand, it's more of a reactionary measure instead of being more proactive. But I mean, the administration's also under kind of a big turnover right now, or just a, at least, you know, they really have to rethink the way they do things. You know, with Bob Bowlesby on the way out, you get, you kind of get a situation where the Big 12 might be taking a more proactive approach. I mean, if they're just going with the smarter, I think the smarter train of thought and get ahead of the next round of conference expansion in that world. I think that Boise state and San Diego state are two good candidates. San Diego state has appealed for the big 12 in the past, or at least like tried to make some sort of pitch or marketing effort to do so. Um, so I could see that being a connection again. Um, and I think Boise state makes a lot of sense. So even though I don't know how much of an effort they've made to market themselves in the big 12, if the Big 12 does take a more proactive approach, I think that they would be a real candidate. Yeah, I think all of these teams actually do make sense. Uh, you talked about SMU, Boise State, and San Diego State, obviously, already. Memphis, too. Memphis has a really good basketball program that they're building, and they've been pretty good at football at times. Um, 
what do you think of them and which of these four teams do you think would end up being the most successful on the field and on the court if this expansion would happen? I, I think it would be I think it would be a run between San Diego State and Memphis, SMU trailing close behind. There's also some other candidates that I've talked about before that I didn't mention here just because I think the way that the Big 12 has already expanded geographically, schools like Louisiana and Coastal that from an athletic standpoint and a growth standpoint make a ton of sense. Louisiana is still regional with Louisiana, but I, I just don't think that those would make as much sense as, as Memphis and San Diego State. And the likes. Um, I, I like Memphis. I think that they're in a more sustainable recruiting ground um, over the long haul. I mean, they've had, I mean, their basketball success speaks for itself in the past few decades. So mm -hmm. I think it'd be a safer bet to succeed over the long haul. Also, no matter the head coach they've had, they've been pretty successful in football. I would think Memphis would be the obvious choice there, or at least the safe one. I think San Diego State has more potential because the way that they've been trending up recently. I'd probably stick with Memphis, though. Okay. From a Texas perspective, does any of this matter? Do you think that what happens in the Big 12 and since like, obviously they won't be in the conference, but they're still in that area of the country that is covered by a lot of the Big 12. Do you think what happens will affect Texas in any way? I think if you're talking about the broader conversation here, there's two ways that it can impact Texas and OU. Um, for one, if the Big 12 does expand West, then you get you get a situation where I mean obviously you got Lincoln Riley USC right now you have Oregon that you know controls a lot of the recruiting on the West Coast but they also band out for recruiting more East they have a pretty national presence in that regard I, I think with how much Steve Sarkeesian likes to recruit the West Coast and a lot of the ties that he has back from you know when he was a head coach at USC head coach at Washington um, you, you know I think you might kind of get a new recruiting pipeline or you know you still have recruiting competitions out west between the big 12 and texas granted texas still a little bit more resourceful but i think that's something that could develop if the big 12 were to expand west also i think that the moves that the big 12 and the other power conferences make will end up having a big impact on the whole college football playoff expansion conversation and with texas headed for the sec i think that's a very important part of the future outlook of, uh, of the Longhorns football program. Um, you know, if, if the big 12 expands, brings more competitors into the conference in turn on the national landscape, I think you would give uh, the NCAA as a whole and the, you know, college football playoff committee more reason to expand the, I think that actually helps Texas. So I think there's multiple ways you can look at this, but if the big 12 does expand, that definitely changes the playoff conversation. So that catches Texas's attention for sure. Last question. You mentioned, obviously, that super conferences could form in the next three, five, ten years in college football. And what are, what are the chances in your mind that this, this goes the opposite direction? And then instead of expanding, a lot of these Big 12 teams end up going to something like the SEC, like maybe a Baylor in Oklahoma State. Schools like that go to the SEC and then other schools go to the Big Ten. Yeah, I, I've thought about that before. Um, I think the Big Ten would be an option for a lot of schools. I mean, you have West Virginia that could go to the ACC. I think there's a lot of ways that could break off. Um, you know, 
I don't know exactly how <laughs> how the dominoes could fall in that regard, but if the Big 12 were to lose any of its major teams remaining at this point, um, then you start getting to a situation where the Big 12 becomes more of a group of five conference instead of a power five conference. I don't see any way that that would really, I mean, obviously any way that that would benefit the Big 12. And that's why I think they need to take more of a proactive approach now to try and prevent that from happening. Um, but yeah, I mean, I could very realistically see if, if conference expansion comes back around schools like Kansas, Oklahoma State, um, I mean, maybe even BYU, if the Pac-12 starts getting aggressive. I see, I, I can see a world where the Big 12 starts to fall apart. And I mean, that's why this conversation is so important to have right now. Thanks for coming on. That was that was great. And you guys can find Andrew on Twitter at, at Andrew Miller SSC. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. 